Today I want to talk about a peach, remembering, and a carport. In 2003, my wife Allison and I bought our first house and our first puppy. Growing up, our families both had gardens, so naturally when we moved into our house, we wanted one too. The house was on a tenth of an acre, and I remember the realtor describing it as a park-like backyard. It had a 20-foot wide strip of grass and five feet along the fence just like a park, maybe the world's smallest park. There wasn't a lot of room for a garden, but we maximized the five-foot strip of dirt. And my two favorite things we planted were a spalier apple tree with six different varieties on it and a peach tree. That first year, our beloved peach tree produced two peaches. Unfortunately, the birds got to one of them before we could. We tried to put some netting over it to protect the last peach. And then one day we went out to check our special peach and it was looking great but we decided to leave it for just a few more days. I mean, how do you even tell when a peach is right to pick, right? A few days later, we open the back door and our golden retriever puppy comes running up to us and is just covered in a sticky goo. That little thief had stolen the peach and rolled around on it on the grass, squishing it all over her fur. When you think of what the church is, do you ever think of a garden? When it comes to defining what is the church, the New Testament only speaks in metaphors. And some of these metaphors are more familiar to us, like the church is the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. The church is like a building. The church is the family of God. The church is a holy temple. One of the least known metaphors is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul uses a field as a metaphor for the church, specifically a field used for cultivation. This is what we call a garden. I know many of you like to grow things at home or even here at our community garden at Central Campus, or maybe you even have a peach tree. Some of you cultivate a very tiny piece of land called a pot, while others of you cultivate land on a larger scale in a large garden, perhaps worthy of the designation of farmer's field. Just like I had high hopes for my peach tree, God has high hopes for us too. God is growing things within our community. He wants us to be a beautiful garden producing abundant fruit. Well, and vegetables too. But every time I take a quiz about whether something's a vegetable or a fruit, it seems like the correct answer is always fruit. Like tomatoes are fruit. Avocados are fruit. Olives are fruit. Bell peppers and even pumpkins, all fruit. And then of course, there's the trick question, corn. Well, apparently it's both. Whether they are fruit or vegetables, when we tend to a garden is a hopeful act. We plow, fertilize, seed, water, weed, and prune, and keep the dog away from the peaches in hope of an abundant harvest. God is at work amongst us with that kind of hope. In fact, he's expecting an abundant harvest. So what is the harvest that God desires amongst us? He wants us to be formed more into the likeness of Jesus. He wants our interior life as well as our exterior life to be formed. He wants our thoughts, our priorities, our values, loyalty, even our emotions to be like Jesus. He also wants our actions and our words to be like Jesus. God doesn't only want personal growth from us individually. He wants us to grow as a body. Every time people see my kids, they always remark about how fast they grow up. I mean, it's amazing. You, you feed them, you let them sleep, and they grow like weeds. As the body of Christ, God doesn't want us to stay as kids. God wants us to grow together. He wants us to mature in the way we care and love for one another and be a church together. 
and he wants us to reach new people and help them follow Jesus too. Through the different metaphors in scripture, we learn what the church is and what it is not. It's not a building. Owning or renting a facility is not a requirement to be a church. At the beginning of the pandemic, we couldn't meet together in person and it forced us to wrestle with the idea of what actually is the church. Did we cease actually being the church because we couldn't meet in a building? For several months as we gathered virtually and utilized Zoom, FaceTime, and a lot of other, other video content, we would use the hashtag church ain't a building. And that is just as true today as it was 18 months ago. Church ain't a building. Many people from Harbor Covenant are still gathering online on Sundays and haven't been back since March of 2020. And they're still a part of us. In fact, on Mondays, I lead two different rooted small groups and they're both over Zoom. With both groups, about half gather with us in person on Sundays and the other half are still online. The church is not a church because it has a 501c3 nonprofit status. Pretty sure the church in Ephesus in the first and second century didn't. The church is not a tradition, though it has many. It's not a self-help program, though it is sure helpful. Church is not a hike in the woods, it's not surfing, and it is not kayaking. And it even isn't fly fishing. But we can save fly fishing for a different week when we talk about heaven. First and foremost, the church is a group of people, specifically a group of people that follow Jesus and work for God's kingdom in the world. I've heard people say that there's no such thing as a perfect church. If you ever find one, don't go to it. There's no one there. And you definitely shouldn't join it. You'll ruin it. Now, obviously, the people that say that haven't been to this church yet because you people are great. But joking aside, there might not be perfect churches, but there are definitely fruitful churches and unfruitful churches. Much of the New Testament is encouragement, challenge, and sometimes even rebuke to the different groups of Jesus' followers scattered across the Mediterranean in the first century. I believe that apart from the church, you're limited in your understanding of the scriptures. Because nearly the entire New Testament was written to churches, to groups of people, not to individuals. And they're to be understood in the context of a church and lived out communally. Even the three letters that were written to individuals were written to pastors, or in the case of Philemon, a leader in the church. So when you read the letters of Paul and he says, you, look at the context because it probably should be more like you all. Great, so now we have a better picture of what the church is, but why does that matter? Why is the church important? How many times has a family member or friend said to you, remember when you, or remember when we, many times the walk down memory lane brings back fond memories as the emotions well up and we can even forget about wonderful memories until someone reminds us. Sometimes the memories aren't good. We say, oh, don't remind me. The church is important because as a church, we remember. We need each other to remember because we forget, don't we? If there's a recurring theme in the Old Testament, it is God telling the people to not forget what he has done. And then after they forgot, reminding them. The church today reminds us about the most important things. We're not talking about to remembering to take out the trash or remembering to buy more avocados though I should. Siri, buy more avocados. As the church, we remember the important stuff of who we are individually and who we are together. And those are things that Siri cannot remind us of. We remember God has called us his precious children. 
We remember together that God will be with us in the tragedies and the mess of life, just like last time and before that and the time before that. We remember that God is faithful even when we aren't. We remember that God isn't finished with us, with them, with him, with her. We need each other to remind us that God forgives every time, always. We remember that we have a calling, a purpose, and a mission as the people of God. So each Sunday we sing songs to remind us who God is and who we are. We pray not only to move the hand of God, but to remind us that God cares and is also capable. And we even listen to sermons that desperately try to squeeze in references or jokes about fishing because we need to be reminded about how much we are loved, forgiven, gifted, and called. We remember that we are in it together. We are God's people and we are God's church. And we'll do it all over again next week because we forget. Like trying to hold water in a fishnet, our memory leaks. A couple of weeks ago in our Rooted Groups and in the sermon, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man that was attacked by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. The person that actually stopped to help him was from a people group that the Jews despised and hated. As I reflected on the story with one of my Rooted Groups, the section that stood out to me was the beginning about how the priest and the Levite both walked right by the guy in need. In the story, it's assumed that the priest and the Levite had just concluded their time of service at the temple and were returning home to Jericho. Typically, they would serve for a full week a couple times a year. It's tragic and surprising to think that the priest and the Levite have just spent significant time in God's presence and with God's people. But in this story, Jesus tells they didn't live into God's priorities. Well, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> and my reflections on the priest and Levite completely contradict what I just said about the importance of remembering together so we can live into a different reality with God. The key is that the group is only as important as we let it. The pastor at the first church I worked at would paraphrase Billy Sunday all the time. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a Ferrari he would say. The key is participation. If we treat going to church like going to the movies or watching a TED Talk, it's just for the sake of attendance or for religious entertainment. If we just show up to consume, if we just show up to fulfill some sort of duty, we're not a part of the group like God intends. We're like the priest and the Levite. They checked the box. They did their duty. The richness of the church comes to life when we're connected in relationships and when we're engaged in mission. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some in, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Many of the commandments in the scriptures are impossible to fulfill if you are not a part of community. Spur on one another. Don't give up meeting together. Encourage one another. In seminary, I had to study quite a bit of church history, and I was introduced to so many historical figures that made an impact. And I can't think of a single one that wasn't a part of a church. 
Even the desert fathers and mothers, even the hermits, had a community they would weekly gather with. When I think of someone that is a part of Harbor Covenant Church, I think of someone that is connected in relationships and engaged in mission. So what does that look like? Let me share a few things that take place in person and then I'll address online as well. To be connected is all about relationships. It means that you know people here and you are known. You have friends. You don't have to know everyone, but you need to be relationally connected with at least a handful of people. If no one knows you here, maybe it's because you're new and that's okay. We're really excited about helping you connect with some wonderful people in the church. Connecting people in relationships is very important to us. That's why we have a wonderful hospitality team every week that smiles and welcomes you when we gather. We ask all of you to wear a name tag, not because we're taking attendance, because we want to know your name. We want to make it easy for others to get to know you. After the service, we ask new guests to stop by uh, the Have We Met table and fill out a Get to Know Me card because we want to get to know you. For those of you online, we have hosts at our services because you're not logging onto a production, you're gathering with the church and the hosts are there to welcome you. I love to check in online every week and say hi in the chat and just see who has gathered together. What does connection look like for us at Harbor Covenant? Getting involved in a rooted group has been a wonderful way to connect for many of you. For those on our hospitality team, it's more than just doing the task. It's they show up every week, a half hour early to meet together. We pray together. We talk about what's going on each Sunday. And many of those individuals even show up earlier than that just to be able to connect in relationships with one another. Some of you after, after a service, grab a cup of coffee instead of jetting out just to spend time getting to know people. There's all sorts of other ways people connect in relationships at Harbor Cove throughout the week. We have people participating in midweek groups as well as mentoring relationships. What does it look like to be engaged in mission at Harbor Covenant? For a large number of you, it's been through serving with our signature ministries. The number of people we have serving with the Northwest Furniture Bank, Camp Standby Me on Vaughn Bay, the Covenant Mission in Alaska, and with YWAM in India is staggering. We call these our signature ministries because they all have our fingerprints all over them. Our involvement with them has been long-standing, deep, and wide. Many of you have found these serving opportunities to not only be ways to engage with our mission, but also ways to connect with others as you serve alongside them. There are other ways to be engaged with the mission, and many of you serve on Sundays, you serve with children's ministry, student ministry, or even just by sharing your faith with your neighbors and coworkers. Reflecting on his experience leading a vibrant church community, Pastor Kerry Newhoff shared, Engagement can happen in many ways, but it usually shows up in four ways in engagers. People who served, gave, were part of a community group, and who invited their friends. If they were four for four, they were deeply engaged, and ultimately, if you had a healthy church, they were also transformed. Next Sunday, the 28th, we'll receive new members here at Harbor Covenant. In some churches, you have to be a member before you can serve or do anything. In other churches, they don't even have a church membership. For us at Harbor Covenant, membership is not a prerequisite for involvement. You can participate and serve in almost any capacity without being a member. For us, it's about commitment. By becoming a member, people are making a commitment to these people and to this mission. It's a commitment to be connected and engaged. If you're a church member, yes, you belong to the organization, but more importantly, 
You belong to the people and to the mission. We have a lot of people that are a part of Harbor Covenant. How do we care, disciple, encourage all of the diverse populations at Harbor Covenant that are online? We have people from San Diego, Spokane, Colorado, India, Texas, and, and more. Our goal over the next several months is to develop more resources and ways to help you connect and engage at Harbor Covenant online. As an important part of the body of Christ at Harbor Cove, we're excited and motivated to help you connect in meaningful relationships online or in person, as well as equipping you to engage with the mission, even if you're not in Gig Harbor. I remember when my job here changed and the position for outreach was created. The, the members gathered to discuss it and vote on it. And one individual asked if I was going to be, if it was going to be my job to go door to door. The problem behind the question was the assumption of what pastors do and what church members do. It's not my job to carry out the mission and the people sit and watch. No, you are all instrumental to the mission. My job is to equip you to go do it. Over the years, that has been providing opportunities for you to serve, as well as challenging and inspiring you to get involved. It's been helping to cultivate hearts that care about people far from God and to share about the hope that we have in Jesus. Recently, a member of our church, whom has become a dear friend, needed her metal carport moved. So I rounded up a group of guys on a Sunday afternoon, and we went to her house. I arrived first, and to assess the situation, I went over to the carport to try to get an idea of how heavy it was. And I tried to lift it up, and I was shocked. I could only lift up uh, one of the eight legs, like maybe an inch. This thing was like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It was impossible to move on my own. If I had to do it myself, I would probably have to get tools, disassemble it, move the parts, and reassemble it, and I doubt I could do it in a day. Well, the other guys arrived soon after that, and the six of us, each grabbed a pole and lifted the entire carport maybe two inches off the ground, but that was enough. We were able to just shuffle our feet with this carport two inches off the ground, a hundred feet to its new destination, and we were done in five minutes. The mission was only achievable with all of us. Family of God, God wants you more connected and engaged because he wants to form you into the likeness of Jesus, and God has more carports for us to move. Here's three questions for you to think about this week. In what ways are you connected in relationships and engaged in mission at Harbor Covenant? What is one step you can take this month to be more connected or engaged? And third, who are you gonna tell about what you're gonna do?